0: As we finish up our selfless series, I can't help but think of one person in particular in here in recent days has been Lib Coward. Most of you know her. Some of you that uh, have not been here for a long time don't know her, but she's one of our senior adults that is often sitting right over here near Miss Louise and Mr. Robert. And uh, she spends a good portion, or actually every day, Going to see her husband, Harold Cowart, who has been in some type of rehabilitative facility for 20 plus years. Every day. And if he didn't like what they were serving, she would get him something. Every day. He went to be with the Lord this weekend. And when I think of selfless, I think of her. That she has pushed herself for love of her husband and the love of God to serve him all the days of his life. And we will definitely miss him and are praying for Liv and the family in in his absence. And though it was something that they, it's not a surprise, but it is grieving nonetheless. And his services will be tomorrow at McDougall's at 3 o'clock. And they're receiving friends before that from 1 to 2.30. And they have invited the Stanley Watts Sunday School class to be honorary pallbearers. And so we are going to use that opportunity to tell people about Jesus at his home going uh, tomorrow during that service. So I just had to mention that as we're talking about selflessness this morning. Uh, She is definitely... I'm not meaning to deify her and I'm not making her out to be a saint because no one other than Jesus Christ deserves that authority and that, that esteem. But I'll tell you what, she's pretty close in my book. And so those of you that know her will probably have a greater frame of reference for this message today. But if you don't trust me, the Bible is enough. And we're talking about the message of selflessness. Selflessness. The message of selflessness, and it is twofold. The message of selflessness is this. Number one, and we learn this from Jesus, that loving God enough to obey Him. If we want to be not selfish, but selfless, we need to love God enough to obey Him. The second thing, we need to love others enough to lay down our lives for them. You must love someone enough to lay down your life for them. Now, for most of you in here, this will not be a literal laying down your life. I mean, you will not, in most instances, have to die for someone. But, every day, selflessness means not my will be done, but whatever I can do to help that other person. For a husband, it may be having a selfless attitude towards his wife, or a wife towards her husband, or or an employee towards a boss. We need to show the world selflessness because that is what Jesus Christ has shown us. And up to this point in the series, we have seen examples of selflessness in people like Mary. Mary who sat at Jesus' feet and gave him her most valuable possession. It was an and. Ointment, or what they called nard, it was burial perfume that she was saving for her burial that she had used a year's wages to purchase. Yet, that was not important to her when she was at the feet of Jesus. And that sign of her anointing Jesus with that oil was a premonition. It was preparing him for his death and burial that was to come only a few days later. We saw Lazarus who was raised by Jesus from the dead to show the world that he had the power over death. But it was that very miracle, that very thing that, that led people to, to start following Jesus in a frenzy because they had never seen anything like that. And it was that motion, it was that movement, it was what we call today that hype that drove the Pharisees to want to kill Jesus. Jesus. So much so, they thought that even though Lazarus was raised from the dead, he was killed only later because the Pharisees thought, if we can kill what Jesus did, the movement will die with him. Oh, were they wrong. Boy, were they wrong. We also learned about his power over death. We learned that uh, even though he was killed by a group of selfish Pharisees, no one could stop Him then, church, and no one can stop Him now. I don't care what opinion poll you read. I don't care how many posts on Facebook you see. I don't care how dark this world seemingly gets because we as Christians love to sit around the dinner table and talk about how bad this world is getting. But God is still on His throne. Amen. They could not stop Jesus then. And they cannot stop Him now. It doesn't matter what law, what politician, what preacher, what anybody says. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, forever. And we cannot stop Him. We have no power over what Jesus does. Somewhere along the way we think that He gave us a say-so. But it's not about Him coming to serve us. It's about us. Serving him. Well, we have learned that due to our sinful nature, we are always going to struggle with the desire to be selfish. Just like when children are growing up, you don't have to teach them how to make sure that they don't share. Am I right? Sharing is something that you, oh no, Johnny, you don't do that. You need to share with your sister. And then they take the toy and they throw it at the sister, right? There you go, I'm sharing. But yeah, for, even, it, it, I love that, that with children, is that the, the, the most basic desires, the most basic needs as parents and as churches and as mentors. we are guiding them through this, but it is obvious, if you've ever been around children, that the, the default is mischief. The default is sin. I'm not saying that, that children are bad. That's not what I'm saying. But what I'm saying, as far as the nature, the tendency, is to look out for number one. Well, we want everything to work out in our lives, in our way, in our time. Living a selfless life, though, takes an intentional resolve to wage war against our own selfishness. This is not a popular message. This is not a popular passage because everybody wants preachers and they want people to tell them that if they smile and if they love God enough, that everything is going to be okay. And that is not Scripture. Scripture. I'm not saying that your life is not better with Christ because absolutely it is. But a smile and a pat on the back is just being a good person. Proclaiming the gospel of Jesus Christ is what He died for and what He has called us to do. But if, if we get up and we talk about sin and we say that, that people in churches are sinners and they need to admit that they are a sinner, they need to believe that Jesus is God's Son, and they need to confess him as Savior and Lord. Our children in VBS, they get that. But the adults have a harder time with that. A selfish life has one purpose. To serve itself. If you are living a selfish life, everything will be about you. It's your world. We're just living in it. But if you are a selfless person, your life has one purpose. To serve God. And as we look at that, in the last days of Jesus' earthly ministry, He wanted to make sure the disciples and those who followed Him would hear His words and take them to heart. We've talked before about this, the the importance of the last words. We often remember the last words or the last actions we, we spoke with someone we love who has passed on. And we would say, oh, just one more moment, just one more word, just one more memory is all I want but you get what you get, right? And if you've ever seen somebody that's coming to the end of their life, they're wanting to make sure that their arrangements are taken care of. And they're wanting to make sure that their children and friends and family are taken care of. And they're wanting to know that in their last breaths that please tell so-and-so that I love them. Last words are important. And why do I say that? Is because as we pick up this story... In just a moment, with Jesus in the garden, these are his last words before he goes to the cross. Matter of fact, while this is taking place, Judas is already sealing the deal with the, with the Pharisees. But we'll get that into just a moment. But we see that in this passage, we need to learn that Jesus' message was his Father's message. Turn to John chapter 12. And we've been in this chapter for a few weeks now, but we're going to pick up at 44, John 12:44. And it says, Then Jesus cried out, The one who believes in me believes not in me, but in him who sent me. And the one who sees me sees him who sent me. I have come as a light into the world so that everyone who believes in me would not remain in darkness. If anyone hears my words and doesn't keep them, I do not judge him, for I did not come to judge the world, but to save the world. The one who rejects me and doesn't accept my sayings has this as his judge. And the word I have spoken will judge him on the last day. For I have not spoken on my own, but the Father himself who sent me. He has given me a command as to what I should say and what I should speak. At verse 50, I know that his command is eternal life, so that the things I speak, I speak just as the Father has told me. What we see from this passage is number one, to believe in Jesus as the only way to God. I guarantee you there will be people out here and people that have claimed to be messengers of God, that God gave them a special word, that God has has showed them a special revelation. But according to this passage, what we see, that the messenger that God chose to send his message to us, to this world, was through Jesus Christ. And it is through the name of Jesus Christ, it is through the blood of Jesus Christ, it is through the ministry of Jesus Christ that men will be saved and nobody else. No one else. If you want to know God, if you want to know what God wants... How many of y'all want to know what God wants for your life today? Everybody does. And this is going to sound like a preacher answer, and it's not a cliche, but it's the absolute truth. If you want to get to know God get to know Jesus, because they're one and the same, according to this passage. Jesus is the way to God. But see, understand, this was world changing for the Pharisees, because the Pharisees thought if they learned so many scriptures, and if they kept so many laws, and if they did all the right things, that God would be pleased with them, because they were still living under the, the notion that, that we were in the Old Testament and and that you were saved by your faith and by works. But somewhere along the way, they let the works take place of the faith. And so here is this man, Jesus Christ, saying that he is speaking for the God that they worship. That was mud in their face. The disciples, they believed that Jesus was God. But even the disciples often missed the meanings. You see... They were still looking for Jesus to be that earthly ruler that was going to overthrow Rome. And then they would be on his cabinet, and they would have a lot of prestige, a throne, and glory. However, they would learn later that that was not the kingdom that he was talking about. And then there were the curious, as we talked last week, the curious that believed Jesus was God only when they needed something. As long as Jesus would carry out miracles, they believed in him. But the moment he stopped, they said, nah, he's not God. We wouldn't do that today, would we? I talk to people sometimes and they say, James, I don't understand. I've done this, I've done this, I've done this, I've done everything you said, I've done everything you preached about. I've even read the Bible five days this week, and it's not getting better. That's not God's fault. Are you only going to follow God when times are good? Are you only going to love someone when times are good? Sadly, in today's world, that's the case. But if we are going to be selfless, if we are going to sacrifice our will and our lives for the betterment of others by doing that, and making our lives better. Many of you know this. Many of you are parents or grandparents or mentors where you have sacrificed for the lives of someone that was younger, maybe for a child, a grandchild, and now they are here or they are in the Lord and, and they are better because of your sacrifice. Is that a good payoff? Are you happy that you sacrificed for your children? Yes. Good. Because, I mean, I would hate to be that person that comes to the end of their life and said, you know, I did nothing for my children. And they did nothing for me. That's not God's design. That's not what God wants. That is not living a selfless life. But we also see that we don't need to be like the Pharisees who had Jesus right in front of them. Yet, they allowed their selfish desires to hide who he really was. The reason the Pharisees denied Jesus as the Messiah is because he wasn't from a royal family, because he didn't have prestige, because he wasn't rich, and because he wasn't someone popular that they could get behind. He was a scoundrel. He was white trash to them. He was from the wrong side of the tracks, and he was a blasphemer. He was a rabid dog that had to be taken care of because their selfish ways were not being met. It's easy to demonize other people when we're trying to justify our selfishness, is it not? It's, and listen, I'm going to go ahead and tell you something. If everybody else in your life is the one with the problem, I've got news for you. You're the one with the problem. If everybody else can't please you, if there is is no one that that you can say, yes, that person has shown me love, and yes, that person has sacrificed me, and everybody is out to get you, you very well may be the problem. Just like the Pharisees were. And through the benefit of Scripture, Jesus tells us that He is establishing a heavenly kingdom to rule. So the disciples... We'll eventually get this. I love, my, my, one of my favorite verses in the scriptures is Ecclesiastes 2.11. Allow me to read it to you for a second. It says, when I considered all that I had accomplished and what I had labored to achieve, I found everything to be futile, a pursuit of the wind. There was nothing to be gained under the sun. Folks, if you are living for a worldly kingdom, I've said it a million times, this will make a million and one, there are no U-Hauls behind hearses. You don't take it with you. You don't take your relationships with you. All you take is what you came into this world with, which was nothing but the life that God gave you. And we can know what God is like by focusing on Jesus. We can know Jesus. Listening to a preacher, a friend, or a mentor, that's important, but there is no substitute for personally pursuing God through reading His Word and through prayer. And then we also see that Jesus in this passage declared His mission was to be the light of the world. Jesus does say here, I didn't come to judge the world, I came to save the world. So in other words, what He was talking about is that time from when He was born of His virgin mother Mary to the time that He is about to be crucified. He is saying, this section of time here, I did not come to judge people, but to save them. But what He is saying in this passage is, after you crucify me, and after I go to my Father, everything that I said and everything that I did will be the very rule for which you were judged against. He's saying, I am making the rules while I'm here. Benefit from it while you can, but when I am gone, this is how high you're going to have to jump. Well, also we see that Jesus placed His money where His mouth was. Jesus places money where his mouth was. Let's look in Luke chapter 22, verses 39 through 44. Probably one of the most intimate looks at Jesus in the entire Bible. He's just finished a meal of the Passover, he has seen his friends for likely the last time because the show is about to begin. If you've ever been in like the band or a football team or some type of organization where you have a game, I mean, there's always. I remember in high school playing football. Friday night, man, you, you coaches say, "Stay in the game, stay in the game, Striplin. Get your mind right." And you'd have to walk around the gym for about five hours with the game face on, so the coaches would think you're thinking about the game. But really, you're just walking around with your face like this and look like everybody else. But I'm telling you what, man, it's like that old. It'll show, Friday Night Lights, man, when you walk out and you hear the crowds and you see the lights and you walk out and your feet touch the field. It, there's nothing like that, being on a team and doing that. But you know, as soon as that whistle blows, the game is on. Well, that same type of anticipation, but yet that same type of dread is what Jesus was feeling because, folks, the game was about to begin. And here he is in the pregame huddle in the Garden of Gethsemane. And we pick up the story in verse 39 where he says this. He says, he went out and made his way as usual to the Mount of Olives. Let me just stop there for a second. There is a huge significance in the writer here saying that he went out to the Mount of Olives as usual. What I want you to understand is most people that would be in Jesus' shoes, what would they be doing? They would be running for their lives. They would be hiding. They would be a witness protection. But not Jesus. Jesus did what he always did. He went to his usual places. Because think about it. In the background of the story, Judas is dropping a dime on Jesus, isn't he? Judas is telling them, I know Jesus well enough to know exactly where he will be. His usual place. Jesus was not scared to do What he always has done. He goes to his usual place, to the Mount of Olives, and the disciples followed him. When he reached the place, he told them, pray that you may not enter into temptation. This is huge. I can't wait to get to that in just a minute. Then he withdrew from about a stone's throw, knelt down, and began to pray. I think there's something ironic here you need to see. They had a prayer meeting. But it wasn't a prayer meeting to pray for other people. It wasn't even a prayer meeting for Him to pray for them, was it? It was time for Him to get alone with His Father. And He told the disciples, He didn't even say, pray for me, did He? What did He say? He said, pray that you will not enter into temptation. Then He withdrew from them. In verse 42, He says, Father, if you are willing... Take this cup away from me. Nevertheless, here comes the selfless part. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. Then an angel from heaven appeared to him, strengthening him. Being in anguish, he prayed more fervently, and his sweat became like drops of blood falling to the ground. When he got up from prayer and came to the disciples, he found them sleeping And exhausted from their grief. Verse 46. Why are you sleeping? He asked them. Get up and pray. Again, so that you won't enter into temptation. At no point did Jesus say, Oh, disciples, please pray for me. I'm about to go to the cross and I'm scared. What am I going to do? He didn't say that, did he? He said, you need to pray so that you won't fall into temptation. He wasn't worried about his little red wagon. He was worried about theirs. And so, as we pick up the story, Jesus placed his money where his mouth was. What we see by him going to his usual place is that Jesus was consistent. He was consistent. Jesus always prayed when he was tested. Jesus always prayed when he was tested. If you go back, and you look at other Scriptures, you see that in Luke 3.21, that when He was beginning His earthly ministry, and the Holy Spirit came upon Him, what was He doing? He was praying. Then when He was transfigured, uh, when He was with the disciples and He was transfigured, it says in Luke 29, and He was praying, the appearance of His face changed, and His clothes became dazzling white. And then now here in the garden, here He is again, And it says, pray that you may not enter temptation. When Jesus instructs the disciples to pray, it is because they were the ones who were going to fail, not Him. Here is the significance. Here is the the aha moment that I love about this passage. By Jesus telling them to pray so that they will not fall into temptation, Jesus failing at this was never an option. Never an option. Jesus knew what He had to do, And He was doing it. The failure would come in with the disciples. In other words, He's saying, when you see what they're going to do to me, when you see the things that I'm going to go through, and when the backlash comes upon you, you pray now for how you are going to react. i got my part covered. Pray for yourselves. I've heard it preached before that that Jesus really didn't want to go to the cross, but He did it anyway. That's never an option. That is not even biblical. Jesus was always part of the plan. And we'll talk about that in just a minute about the cup. But Jesus was warning the disciples to pray so that they would not fall into temptation. Nowhere does Scripture say or teach that Jesus was in danger of forsaking His calling. Now, and we know even after when Jesus was arrested in the garden, you remember Peter? Mister, I'm going to jump now and think about it later. Remember what he did? Where he cut off Malchus's ear. And Jesus said, oh, no problem. I got this in his back. I'm making a, a gross oversimplification. But do you know that by Jesus putting the ear back on Malchus, he quite literally saved Peter's life? Because think about this. A man attacked a Roman government official and cut his ear off. Peter could have died from that. Peter was impulsive. People jump, Peter jumped, and then he acted. And he's telling them, please pray so that you will know how to act. Jesus was committed to God's will, His Father's will. Jesus was all along committed to do the Father's will. When He says, Father, let this cup pass before me, I want you to understand something. I, even when I was younger, I thought this. The cup is not the experience of Him going to the cross. When He he is not saying, please let this cross pass from me. He's not saying, come on, get Daddy, give me a way out. This is pretty cool. Check this out. When He talks about let this cup pass from me, we have to go back to some Old Testament verses. Because Jesus, we know was very fluent, and he knew the Old Testament. He would quote the Old Testament. Let's look at what the cup he's referring to is talking about. It says, the cup was, was that Jesus dreaded was God's wrath and anger against those sins which drove him to the cross. I want you to understand when he says, God, let this cup pass from me, he wasn't saying, Daddy, I don't want to do this. He's just saying, Daddy, are you sure this is what you want to do? There is a huge difference. Jesus did not flinch. Jesus did not have second thoughts. Jesus loved you so much that he went to the cross. And when he says, let this cup pass from me, Psalm 75, verses 7 and 8 says, For God is the judge. He brings down one and exalts the other. For there is a cup in the Lord's hand full of wine blended with spices, and he pours from it. All the wicked of the earth will drink, draining it to the dregs. Psalm fifty-one, seventeen says, For God is judge. He brings down one and exalts the other. For there is a cup in the Lord's hand. Again, he says this again. And we also see that so the cup is God's anger. It is God's wrath that is built for us. It is meant for us. In other words, we are full of sin. And this is what Jesus is enduring. The cup of God's wrath. Jesus pushed himself to his absolute limits physically to sacrifice for you. He pushed himself so much that he sweat drops of blood. This is not analogy. This is not hyperbole. He actually sweat drops of blood. What would cause him to be under that much anguish and that much pain? What would cause him? to endure all this. I want you to understand that because he is so stressed out and because he is going through this, please don't miss this. The level of anxiety from which he was going through is directly proportionate to the level of wrath, God's wrath and anger that was aimed towards us. The reason... the The reason he was like that was not because of the weight of his decision. It was because of the weight of God's wrath and anger from your sins and mine. It was our sins that were on his back. It was our sins that were causing him to sweat drops of blood. And just as that shows us the level to which God was dying for us, also, folks, is dark and as heavy as God's wrath was, it shows how great Jesus' love was for us. Amen? Jesus took all of God's anger when He placed our sin on His back. It's a measure of God's love for sinners. Folks, if you are troubled by the thought of God's anger, if you're troubled and you don't like it when preachers talk about sin and that you're a sinner and that people who have sin and don't confess it and don't believe in Jesus Christ go to hell, don't forget the very same God that preaches hell, fire, and brimstone is the very same God that offered His Son, Jesus Christ, that gives you love, that gives you grace, and gives you a way out so you do not have to endure that. One begats the other. God's anger and wrath is driven by His love. There are two sides of the same coin. And this is a task that only Jesus alone could do. And we see here that Jesus was praying. Folks, whenever Jesus had rough situations, He prayed. And this seems like a cliché. And it seems like, Oh yeah, preacher, you're supposed to say that. But it's the absolute truth. When you hit hard times, It doesn't have to be a set prayer. You don't have to say the right words. All you have to do is talk to God. Tell Him your heart. Be bold enough to take a moment to listen. So, what is living a selfless life? What is living a selfless life? Living a selfless life requires an active pursuit of God, a hatred of sin, a faith to stand alone, a love for sinners. A dedication to prayer and a determination to never give up. And Trista, if you won't, just leave that up. If people want to write that down, that's, that's fine. But as you're writing that down, I want to say one more thing and, and you don't have to put the slide up, Trista, because it's, it's pretty self-explanatory. The time to be selfless is now. The time to be selfless Is now, as we go back and we look at 45 through 46, when He got up from prayer and came to the disciples, He found them. He taught them to get up and pray so that they would not fall into temptation. How do I know it's time to do it now? All you have to do is go one more verse. One more verse. Verse 47 says, While he was still speaking, in other words, in mid-sentence, suddenly a mob was there. Do you sense the urgency in Jesus' voice? Do you sense the importance, church, for us to be men and women that are selfless rather than selfish? Because, folks, the mob is right at our door. And he's telling us as Christians to wake up! And don't fall into temptation. Be the church. Live selfless lives. Jesus knew that Jesus was on the what? Excuse me. Jesus knew that Judas was on his way. Jesus knew what he had to do. And Jesus knew that the disciples would be emotional and he didn't want them to do something that they would regret. Folks, believers that are here tonight this morning, wake up. In your life for Christ, wake up so that you may not fall into temptation. All of us in here have sins. All of us have temptations. And when do temptations rear their greatest pull? Is when we are falling asleep and our walk with God is not that important. Wake up, church, so that you will not fall into temptation. Well, how do you sacrifice? How do you live a selfless life? I'll close with this illustration. There's a man named John Fox. He was the Congressional Medal of Honor recipient. He was the First Lieutenant, John Robert Fox. He was directing artillery fire in the Italian town of Soma Colonia to stall a German advance. While Fox was directing fire, a large German force moved into his position releasing or realizing that this force was a huge threat to his men you know what he did Fox called in an artillery strike on himself when his men eventually retook the position Fox's body was found next to approximately a hundred dead German troops and a medal was placed neatly on his chest that man's one selfless act saved the lives of many others Folks, your selflessness could do the same. You realize if all of a sudden you realize that Jesus is telling us that this life is not about you, but about those that He's put around you, and that you can have a greater purpose by giving your life away than keeping it all for yourself. If you realize that it's not looking out for number one, but it's looking out for Him, and by doing that, Jesus says Himself, if you lift me up, I will lift you up. As we close this series, uh, you know, our culture, we're so consumed with ourselves. But that is so not what Jesus modeled. I'm not saying you don't have problems. I'm not saying you don't have issues. And I'm not saying you can just pray everything away in, in a heartbeat. But I am telling you this God's word does not lie. God loves you, He bared the brunt of your sin. And that when you are in the depths of despair, If you focus on Him and making Him known, He will take care of the rest. I don't know about you, but if you're tired of carrying your sins, put them back on Jesus' back because that's what He bore them for. Accept Him today as your Savior and Lord. If you've been struggling with selfishness, let go. Because in the end, if you don't, you'll end up alone. And that will be all that you have is yourself. That is not why Jesus died. God, we thank you for this message. We thank you for your word. That as we see you bore the weight of our sin, the Lord, you want us to come to you. If there's someone here that doesn't know you today, as Savior and Lord, then I pray that they come forward and we'll lead them in a prayer. Begin discipling them and get them to a point where they know you. As your Savior and Lord. Maybe someone saw the baptism of Denise this morning and thought, I need to do that. Maybe they want to join this church and just have prayer up front. The altar is open. This invitation time is for you. For it's in your name we pray. Amen.